Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Great and peaceful episode today. We have meditation teacher and mindfulness advisor Jackie Stewart on. But first, a couple of mentions. Previous guest and Theater 99 co-founder Greg Tavares is doing Free improv classes over Zoom every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you're interested in joining, then email him at gregtavares99 at gmail.com. Also, previous guest Ilana Fishbein is doing online classes, a bunch for teens. So if you're trying to find something for your teenager to do while you're home, check out her website, ilanafishbein.com, for details, of course, links in bio. As mentioned, today's guest is a meditation teacher and mindfulness advisor, Jackie Stewart. She also has done a bunch of acting work. We talk a little bit about that before we start talking about the benefits of mindfulness and more. She shares great insight and meditation tips from that perspective and the perspective of someone who is in the entertainment industry. So here's my chat with Jackie Stewart. One of the reasons I reached out was because you're an actor who now has an expertise additionally in meditation. And I thought you would have some good ends for performers, for uh, creative types, so that they could get useful meditation that really directly relates to actors. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if... If it could be my wish for all actors is that they meditate. I think that if I were meditating, you know, when I were performing, I probably would have been a much different actor. Oh wow. Yeah, let's oh, talk yeah. let's talk about your background before we jump into meditation. So you have acted in a, a good bit of things. I mean, you got the New York accolade of being in a law and order episode and um <laughs> you've you've been on one life to live you're on the hbo show how to make it in america um you know it's good stuff that you were you were doing there before you pivoted into the role that you're in now so that time period that you were acting what was that like and what made you step out of that yeah so um so right before doing One Life to Live and Law and Order, I had I had very shortly um, just completed my time at the William Esper Studio. Mm-hmm. So I did their two-year conservatory. I studied with Suzanne Esper, and then after that did the master class with Bill. And they were so instrumental in my like personal discovery and just getting to know myself as a human being, let alone an actor. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was just coming out of that training and just found myself, you know, on set, um, you know, whether it be the shows that you mentioned or um, a film set. And, you know, to be honest, a big part of my experience performing was riddled with a lot of anxiety. <laughs> like I was super nervous being on set. I had so much self-doubt about, you know, whether or not um what I was doing was any good or obviously seeing that like uh, working with actors that are so incredibly talented and then just feeling in those moments like, God, how can I be in a scene with this person? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think that it was, it, there were those experiences that I had on set. And then what I had found myself in was this pattern of booking a job and then auditioning and booking a job and auditioning. And I started to place my sense of self-worth and my happiness in that next job or the last job that I did. And over time, it just started to wear on my, it started to wear on me. It started to wear on my like really 
like deep sense and understanding of what happiness even is like how can this feel so volatile right like I would book something and and everyone would be really excited my agent would be like Jackie this is it this is so great and then you would kind of have this like bubble pop afterwards of like okay well that was great and you know I'm sure you're familiar with this Jason in the world of acting there are also just so many highs and lows anyway of mm. like booking something and then maybe having it get canceled or you know like something gets the green light but at some point something changes maybe you you had this amazing scene and then when it airs you you find that it got cut out right, right. like there are so many moments of just um maybe we call them expectation and disappointment or like hope and then having it met with the other side of hope, which is maybe that thing not happening. Right. Um, so I just finished filming a pilot with uh, Blair Underwood. We did um, the remake of Ironside. Mm-hmm. So I was I was I was completing that high of like, wow, that was so amazing to work with such an incredible artist. I just did this pilot. I'm so excited about it. And I was sitting on the other side of that, like, okay, now here I am that project is over and I just don't like, I can't sit with this. Um, I don't know whether I'd call it like questioning either way. It was, there was like a rumble that started to happen within me. That was just like, what is happiness all about? What is this life thing all about? There has to be something more. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a conversation with a friend and at the time there were so many other things that were happening. Um, so I was having this this moment of doubt with my career. I was having a moment of doubt in my relationship. Um, I had also just bought an apartment in New York City and was also kind of in that moment of like, I've checked all these things off of my list of what I thought were like successful accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Like I bought my apartment. I got this show. But why is there still this like underlying feeling of something's missing? Or I'm still sitting with a, a like a sense of not being totally happy or totally fulfilled. So a friend of mine was just like, you know, I spent time at this monastery in Nepal and it was pretty life changing. I think you should I think you should do it, Jackie. And I, I think at the time I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really great idea. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'll find some time to do that. And he was like, you're never going to find time to do that. You just need to make it happen. Yeah. You just need to buy your ticket. So I just bought a ticket and was there like two or three weeks later. And they happened to have this um, this program running with a nun, you know, who it's really structured. You wake up, I forget at what obscene time of the morning it is, like 5 a.m. or something. <laughs> and you go and you sit in this meditation hall and you are receiving instructions. And, and there's this nun that's basically telling you all about the inner workings of your mind and opening us up to understanding, um, you know, some of the inclinations we have about where we find happiness or where we look for happiness and how a lot of it is illusory because it, you know, it exists in this external world or we put it on these circumstances and then we're just basically riding these highs and these lows and there's not really anything sustainable in that. And so what Mm -hmm. these practices of meditation do is it, it just sort of, um, uproots all of that and really makes us question like what what does a sustainable kind of happiness look like or um finding this meaning in life what does that start to look like wow yeah so so maybe a long explanation for just um (laughs) yeah for just letting you know what it's looked like for me yeah and how long were you at that retreat So I was there in Nepal for about three weeks. Um, And I think for me that was enough to really feel like my my whole sense of comfort that I had, you know, built around me here in New York. And then also like all the attachments that I had, like my phone and my email, they were just sort of severed when I got there. Mm. And that I could actually find like this return back to myself. Mm. You know what I mean? When I was sitting with a lot of these reflections, I was just thinking about all the ways that I was spending my time. And for me, at that point, I was auditioning so much that that I just felt like 
the way that it's going right now is I'm I'm spending so much time studying scripts. I'm getting feedback that my eyebrows need to look a certain way when I walk into the room. Oh, wow. That my you know that my makeup needs to be this particular way. And just so you have an idea, at the time when I was sort of like at the peak of auditioning was when there was a lot of like werewolf scripts out there and like <laughs> vampire. And so I was there was a part of me that was just like this this can't be my life. Like if this is the this isn't what I studied. Like this isn't the art that I want to bring to life in the world that we're living in. This is so you know, no judgment to to all the shows that are out there, but I was just like this just feels so silly to me. Yeah. And it's not how I want to be investing my time. And I don't care about my eyebrows. <laughs> like, you know, that's why on set there's someone doing makeup. But it just seemed to be part of the feedback. Like, these are things that, that we do need to take into consideration. Um, you know, when we walk into the room, if I'm going to present myself as uh, a brand or as somebody who is castable, right? Right. Um, and so I was just sitting sitting there with these feelings of, Gosh, I've just been spending so much time thinking about myself, mm -hmm. like really only thinking about myself and pouring all of my energy into myself, which I think on the one hand, you know, when we think about meditation is so valuable to to work on ourselves and to really honor the experiences that we're having. But I also felt like I wasn't really benefiting the world in any way. Mm. And that felt really heavy on my heart. Like... I, with the amount of time that I have spent doing my eyebrows and mm -hmm. studying these scripts, I feel like I could have started a nonprofit that really, yeah. you know, could have like done something great for other people in the world. And I, you know, for me, it was just sitting with that reflection of, wow, I actually think that's why I'm experiencing so much suffering right now is because there's this angst in me of like, I, I do want to do something that's beneficial. And I think my heart, when I initially got into this craft, was with the idea that I'm here to tell a bigger story. Like, I'm not here to be Jackie. I'm here to, to really take on this character or this scene. And it, with the idea that we're, we're expressing this for the audience, it's not for me, right? At least in my understanding, it was... To, to be able to pluck an audience member out of their very separate existence that might be caught up in, you know, certain <sighs> trivialities and just say, like, let's all go on this journey together and, and open our hearts and open our minds to some other possibility, at least for the next half hour or two hours or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so... As I continued auditioning, it just felt like I had gotten so far away from that, like purpose or that intention, mm -hmm. um, and so it just caused me to rethink a lot of things, and took me some time coming back and just saying, you know, what do I want to do with these practices, and what's my relationship to the industry like right now? And and to be honest, I had just come to the point where. I had to, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just had to call my agent and my manager and say, I need to take a step back right now. Like for my own sense of self-preservation, I understand that you have to have a really thick skin in this industry. And I feel like I have a relatively thick skin, but I just need to take a lot of time to come back to myself and like, remember who I am underneath my last gig or the script that I'm looking at right now. That takes a lot of guts for somebody to do, <laughs> you know, to, to go to their agent and say, like, I'm going to put a pause on all this, and who knows if I'm going to come back to it. Yeah, it was a super, super tough decision. To be honest, Jason, if we want to get really deep, I think that I just had to come back and, like, find parts of myself that I had to heal, you know, and I think that many actors might, um, they might resonate with this, but I think that deep down, at least... For me, when I when I was walking into the room, I found myself at so many moments walking in with so much anxiety, and I had to really discover what that was for me. Like, what am I so anxious about? 
And I think that's something that must resonate with any kind of person. I mean, we are talking a lot about the entertainment industry, but there are people who can be workaholics in any industry and they can lose a sense of self because they are still just kind of going through the motions of their day and what their work expectations are. And then they get caught up in the success story of their career, whatever that career may be. And they can have that fragmented sort of mindset there where they're not connecting at all with who they truly are, their inner self. I, I may, maybe that's the wrong terminology, but who they truly are uh, with their life experience is. So what are the things that people can do to sort of, you know, obviously we're saying meditation, but how can someone who is, regardless of industry, living that kind of life be true to themselves and continue to stay in that industry if that's the right place for them? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I think self-reflection is really powerful. And I think we don't often take the time to do it, Mm. to just come back and ask ourselves um, some really honest questions and see what comes up and whether or not an answer emerges right away, to just give ourselves the space to explore it. So I think you know, for some, someone like a workaholic might even be asking something like, um, you know, what's the most important thing to me right now? Like ultimately what's the most important thing to me? Because we might find ourselves caught up in the, you know, getting that next project out or, um, immersing myself in more work, but underneath the busyness or underneath the work, what is it? Is it, is this being driven from a place of, really needing to find safety and security. Like my, my work produces a certain type of income and, and from that then I, I feel a sense of safety in the world. Or is it driven from this place of needing to prove myself in some way? And underneath that, does that, that need to prove myself come from maybe feeling a sense of lack? Like I, maybe I am not feeling all of those parts of me are good enough. And so then it it pushes me into striving harder and harder. So, you know, so often we can, we start by just looking at the external circumstances of, of what we're in. But I think so many of what, so much of what we express outwardly, there's an inward motivation Right. And I think that this is a really big thing even to think about for performers. Like when we think about our motivation, which is what drives us through a scene, it's the same way for human beings. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we're we're embodying human beings in those moments. So when we come back to our own motivations, but like my own motivation as Jackie, you know, what what is it that is driving me and makes me tick? And what's so beautiful in being able to understand and uncover that is, you know, we can really start to embrace certain parts of ourselves that might, you know, maybe we discover, wow, I, I do sit with this sense of needing to feel safe mm-hmm. or this sense of security. So maybe the answer isn't to become a workaholic because that might lead to other unhealthy habits, right? Or like mm-hmm. overwork or, you know, whatever it is. But that I can come back to it and really start to identify for myself, like, what is it that I need in order to feel safe? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe that's spending more time with myself. Maybe that's, um, you know, like hearing the words, like, I'm not going to go anywhere for ourselves, right? Because I think so often, at least for me sometimes when I was in the room, there was a part of me that did check out. Like, I, I bailed because I was like, whoa this is intense. And what that looked like was me losing my lines. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'd spend so much time rehearsing something and all of a sudden a part of me would just bail. Mm. And so it was like, I actually need to feel so safe in myself to know that I'm not going anywhere, that I have my own back. Wow. Right. How, but like how powerful to think about that. No, especially, you know, as someone who does improv where one of the most common things you hear in improv is got your back, got your back. You know, we say that mm. to other improvisers before a show. I got your back. I got your back. This shows that I will support you on stage. But we don't think about that in terms of 
ourselves. I never say like, hey, Jason, I'm going to be true to you. Right. I'm not going to bail on what you want to do. Right. That's, and I don't know if that's, that's ever great. happened for you. If if you have found yourself in a moment of just bailing on yourself. like Oh, absolutely. You I know? didn't have my back. Or like I didn't put in the work to prep for that. And that was my way of not showing up for myself. No, that is such a game-changing thought process for me because, you know, anytime I do, like, when I got into comedy, when I got into improv, when I moved to New York and started doing improv, I wanted to, I aspired to be uh, the kind of performer like the ones that I most admire. And whenever I go on stage and I don't really go for that, um, I'm bailing on myself. And it's always something like, oh, you know, a part of me is scared to do an accent. Mm. You know, I, so I won't do that on stage or, or, or whatever it is, you know, like maybe really show emotion and like really act. Uh, that's a part of me being too afraid to do it. And that is, that is betraying what my aspirations are. It's the ultimate betrayal. And that, I think that's exactly what we're talking about, right? Is just mm -hmm. starting to understand what's up with that. Yeah. Like where, what, what's it, like what is standing in between me and that moment of expression, that full expression, which would cause me either leaving that stage or leaving the room really feeling so full. Like I actually, it doesn't matter what the casting director thought about that because I feel so committed to my work in that moment. I feel like that was so alive for me that I can leave it all there. Mm -hmm. And how fulfilling is that? Yeah. Yeah. Like wow. there's, it doesn't, right? Like there's no reliance on anything external. And I think that that is what I was yearning for was not that next booking. It was that, capacity for me to just show up for myself so that I didn't need the external validation. Yeah, I think you're connecting some dots with, for me here because one thing that I found uh, a, a bit of a mystery is how the some of the great performers who have so much confidence, like where they get that confidence from. And I think it's that they don't allow any part of themselves to bail or betray what they're there to do. Like maybe that's what real confidence is, is being completely committed to going for it within yourself completely. I think that's a huge part of it. You know, for, for myself too, and in, in just trying to understand confidence I think a lot of it has also been the understanding of, um, you know, what the difference between what false confidence and real confidence looks like. Mm -hmm. So even that sense of like, you even spoke to it earlier, like that sense of ego or maybe even like um, amping myself up so that I feel a certain way, which is impermanent, right? Like it, it won't last forever. And, and at some point that bubble will pop, but that if I can cultivate real confidence in myself and finding my ground and maybe having that acknowledgement that I am going to show up for myself. And that's why doing practices, you know, like you mentioned, you do improv like that in and of itself is a practice that we can start to rely on and trust. But something like meditation is the same thing. Like I can start to rely and trust in myself. Like if I'm going to say, I'm going to sit down for 10 minutes every day, mm -hmm. I can honor my experience and I can actually show up. That's like one example of just being able to show up for myself. Or if I'm doing a class, like I'm, I'm committing to showing up for myself. And so these are small ways that we practice, you know, being able to show up. Yeah. So you left the world of acting and you went into the world of meditation. Can you explain why that was the right choice for you? Yeah. So I think being in the industry, you know, there, there's such a love for performing, 
but during my training, you know, my, so I, I trained with Suzanne Esper, um, and she said something that really struck me. She said on, I think it may have been our last class or something. She said, the key for all of you to make it in this is to become your own best friend. And it sounded so simple when she said it, but I think for me, that became my path, mm-hmm. like understanding what that really meant. And I think in all the ways that I enjoyed performing um, and, and you know, found so much benefit from it, I think I was also a time in my life where I was, I was really looking for that kind of self-discovery. And after going on that, uh, meditation retreat, I think that so much started shifting from that point. And that became my, my kind of like intrigue and passion was really understanding the human mind and understanding, you know, what those external circumstances that we end up putting so much of our hopes and fears into, like, can I understand that even more? Hmm. And I think that that is really what um, just kind of continued to carry me into this world of meditation um, while having such a deep appreciation for actors. And then even in hindsight, thinking, God, if I had these tools back then, it would have so deeply impacted my ability to perform, hmm. at least in my opinion. Yeah. You work with a good bit of actors, so you try to instill those things in them for their journey that they're on. Yeah, I think that it's important for us to to try to understand some of the really deep beliefs that we carry with us that so often we don't even realize that we carry. Right. And I think that once we start to understand, like, oh, my God, there's this storyline that I have about myself or myself in this industry, or there's this really deep belief that I carry with me. And if I don't give myself the opportunity to really examine that, then suddenly all of my thoughts and all of my emotions start to emerge around this belief or this storyline. And it can be really hindering for a lot of us. What are some of the things that you try to bring up that you wish you had at the time that you try to bring up with actors? Yeah, I mean, I think anxiety is a really big part of it. And it's actually, Jason, a question that I I wanted to ask you because, you know, I know that this is a word that you and I have both thrown around, but is it something that you experience as a performer? Do you feel like you either either get um, nervous or anxious about anything? I do, not necessarily with performances or auditions, but just with getting and sustaining work. Like the uncertainty of the industry. Yeah. 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 So I think, to your point, that there are sort of two ways of really looking at the ways um, anxiety can show up for a performer. So one is in the uncertainty or the instability of the work, you know, when is my next job? When's my next paycheck? And how do I, how do I navigate that? And then the other is that more kind of immediate in the moment surge of, we could probably call it fear or anxiety, but what happens in the room, you know, whether we're auditioning or on stage and suddenly, you know, we've uh, talked about this before, but basically like if your lines just leave you in the moment like Mm -hmm. that that comes from a moment of a really heightened emotion Mm. and so there are ways to manage that through meditation yeah so i think that you know for me one of the things was understanding what was underneath so we can break it down right because there are the two components so for me it was really trying to understand like what is it for me when i go into the room that i'm so afraid of you know, or what is it that, that really triggers that anxiety? And I think that the more I dug, the more I could just understand that there was, um, there was like a deep care in me rather than feeling like, uh, here's another opportunity to be, to be self-critical. It was actually, I care so much about this. (laughs) Like I care so much about, you know, and maybe it's like a misguided care or like it was, um, 
expressed in sort of a confused way, but that in the moment I care so much about like bringing my full self to this audition or having the casting director see what I'm doing is worthwhile that, you know, the care was there, but it was, it was placing that care almost in someone else's hands rather than really allowing me to embody all of that care and say, you know what, I care so much about this. So not only am I going to prepare the shit out of these Hmm. lines, but once I get in there, I'm, I'm not leaving myself in that room. You know what I mean? And that's sort of that moment of fear, like, whoa, things have gotten really intense. Maybe I'm starting to feel those nerves and now I'm checking out, but rather saying, you know what, I'm going to stay I'm going to call it by name and say, I'm getting nervous right now. Take a deep breath. And then maybe even in that moment, and this was something that I found really powerful, is also just remembering that nerves are such a basic human emotion. Mm-hmm. And that there's a lot of intelligence in it. You know what I mean? Like in, mm-hmm. in many ways, it's it's telling us that maybe, you know, like maybe we need to be on high alert about something. Mm-hmm. So I think in that moment, there was sort of this um, like inner system coming out and just saying, at least for me, maybe there was not uh, an immediate threat, like there wasn't a tiger that was out to get me kind of fear, but there was this perceived social threat of maybe this casting director might not accept me, Mm -hmm. or maybe I will be rejected. And that is really fucking scary, Mm -hmm. right? Especially for an actor, because when you put it all out there, it's you're putting it out there with vulnerability, you're being bold, you're making really strong choices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So all of those things, you're just laying it all out there. And because I'm mentioning that that belief is sort of underlying, like, what if I get rejected? Or what if this isn't accepted, that that was where I was sort of putting my eggs, like mm-hmm. that, that was the basket that I was putting my eggs in rather than, you know what, I'm here to just do my work. And actually, I'm not going to care about what anybody else says about my work because I'm going to be my own best friend. And when I'm my own best friend, I've got my own back. And I can say, you know, after I leave the room, it can either be a moment of, you know what, I felt really good about that. And I can leave it behind. And if, if it landed for them, great. And if it didn't, great, because I was happy about it. So being able to leave with that moment or being able to leave and say, you know what, I think I could have done better, but that's how it went. And just like you would with your best friend, right? If you called mm-hmm. your best friend and you said like, oh my God, I think that re- the audition really sucked. Mm-hmm. But you'd be like, you know what, you're, you're such a talented performer anyway, let that one go. And, and you've got the next one. So I think for me, it really became about this practice of becoming my own best friend. And Jason, you know what started to really flip the switch for me was after I had started meditating a little bit was understanding this practice. It's a compassion practice called loving kindness. Have you heard of it? I think so with the uh, app that I've been using. Oh, cool. What app are you using? I'm using the balance app. Okay. I'm not familiar with it, but I'm sure because it's a, it's a really, um, I don't know if popular is the right word, but a pretty traditional practice, whether it's called compassion or loving kindness, but basically it's, it's known as the antidote to fear. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, wow, this would be really interesting to bring it to this very specific situation. So what it does is it really starts to, um, dissipate some of those barriers that are felt between me and the other like quote unquote other. Mm -hmm. And when we otherize people, that's where we do start to get this sense of like social anxiety or even this fear of rejection is because it's suddenly this other person out there and the attention's on me and what do they think about me sort of thing versus really being able to let those lines dissolve and remember that at the end of the day, I'm a human being and that casting director is a human being. And once we let some of these, you know, whatever these thoughts or ideas or belief systems that are kind of swirling around, once I can really start to relax those, I can remember that 
we also share the most basic needs. Like on the most basic level, I have this wish to be safe in my life, right? To be safe and to be free from danger. I have this really basic wish to just be happy, right? That we all have this basic wish to just be happy and to not suffer. And on some level, we also hope to be healthy, right? In our mind and in our bodies. And so even going back to this notion of being your own best friend, when I can start to offer, whether we think about them as blessings or wishes of wellness to myself, it's just this idea that, you know, I deserve happiness just as much as the next person deserves happiness because this is a very basic wish that we all share. Mm -hmm. So the first step of that practice is being able to offer wishes like this to yourself, to myself. So I would say something like, May I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? And may I live with ease? And over time, as we continue to repeat these phrases, there's something that starts to soften and settle in. And there's, um, it's almost like this coding or this ability to hold whatever that fear is inside of us mm -hmm. and just sort of lets it relax. And what for me was revolutionary is in that same way, when I can offer those wishes to, let's say, whoever was in the room before I walked in that room, and it really didn't matter who it was, I could just sort of like fill in the blank, whoever this person's face might be. But before walking into that room, I could just do this sort of meditation where I would offer these phrases to myself and then offer them to that person. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. And may you live with ease. And then it sort of over time started to take out that whatever that pressure was that is, is illusory at the end of the day, right? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's just another human being right. <laughs> who also has highs and lows and pressures and deadlines that they have to make. And they're probably uncertain about when their next paycheck is coming to, just like <laughs> I am, because we're all in this industry together. Mm-hmm. And so what was so beautiful is it just humanized everybody in that situation. It made me human and was like, wow, I get nervous sometimes and that's okay. May I be happy? May mm. I live with ease? And this person also probably gets nervous. Every actor out there in the world at some point in their life has probably gotten nervous, mm -hmm. right? So then when I can step outside of my own separate, very myopic experience, because when we're in that place of feeling separate, our vision gets so narrow. And then in that moment, all I can focus on is my anxiety <laughs> or right. getting my lines right or whatever it is because it's so tight. And so by practicing this, it's, it's like this softening and this relaxing and this opening and remembering like, oh, yeah, actually, we're we're the same <laughs> in so many ways. We're the same. And that's really beautiful. And I can just walk in there and have that really kind of authentic, casual, present connection that so many casting directors are looking for anyway. Like, oh, good. There's a human being that walked in here. Mm -hmm. Not an actor necessarily ready to perform for me because at least in my training, the best acting was not acting. Right, right. Is to just be able to come in and you do your thing. You know, you, you come from a place of authenticity and you tell the truth. I'm loving all that. It's really sinking in. A lot of what you're saying also applies a lot to comedians, in particular maybe improvisers who are auditioning to be on a house team at some theater and they're putting a lot of weight into um, that audition and uh, it, it can they can look at the people who are auditioning them the same way actors look at the people that are potentially going to hire them. Interesting. Right. It's that same sort of anxiety. And then uh, uh, they lose that sort of humanity to the situation. You're right, because it comes with some kind of a like a competitive lens or mm -hmm. almost like, um, is it fair to even say like a threat? Like that there's some some people do i mean that's why so many people in the industry comedy acting what have you who are cutthroat and it's because they see the other person as some sort of threat to their well-being so they're gonna do something to keep them from getting ahead yeah it's uh it's a real shame that that happens 
And I was just going to say, I feel like that would be such a tough place to live from because mm-hmm. then you are, I don't know, at least in, in my view, I feel like you would feel so trapped by everything. And, and then your whole view of life becomes really defensive. Like every mm-hmm. time you turn the corner, you're on guard and you have something to defend or you have somebody to outdo. And mm-hmm. I think you would just end up spending so much extra energy <laughs> and people right? do yeah <laughs> and they learned the hard way that that wasn't really the best that yeah. wasn't the healthiest right and I think probably too you know you end up burning bridges because I think rapport is such a big part of the industry as well you know I've worked with um all specifically one one example that I'm remembering there was a, a hairstylist that I was working with who was just brought so much ego and attitude to the set. Mm. And um, afterwards, the I don't know if it was a producer or director, but was basically just like, I don't care how talented you are. When you bring that kind of energy to this entire dynamic where we're all working off of each other, it's toxic. Mm-hmm. To have that kind of, you know, like we were saying, it just, it, it creates so much angst around other people and, and, and in a way, even in offering the, the practice that I just mentioned, you know, there's so much heartbreak in that or, or at least like a compassion and being able to see, oh my God, I can only imagine how, how this person probably lives like when they're alone in their apartment, they must be so tight all the time. Yeah. You know, and then for me, there's that sort of softening that starts to happen, which is also another really incredible way that these practices start to emerge, even as, you know, you, you meet different moments on set or wherever it is that it's not just that this happens in meditation, right? But that it's, Mm -hmm. It's how it starts to really come to life. And then it is in that moment with maybe a challenging person where you just sit with them. And mm-hmm. at least for me before, I might have gotten triggered, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe some part of me would get defensive and flare up. But rather, it would be this moment of really being able to see, like, oh, my gosh, this person is feeling so threatened right now. Mm-hmm. And not like, um, not with the intention to judge them or further shame them because they're probably already feeling so much. But to just say, wow that must be so tough and imagine all all the ways that they're probably triggered all throughout the day that they might not even find a moment to really relax or feel safe like we we're talking about that sense of safety right i think that is ultimately where that sense of threat really comes from which kind of mm-hmm. goes back to what we were talking about before is that kind of uncertainty mm-hmm. and the anxiety that comes out of that but really how do we hold that uncertainty, we can either hold it from that place of, you know, maybe feeling threatened and then um, feeling really unsafe in the world and then acting from that place. Or, you know, we can lean into it and, and whatever that looks like for us. So it can either be a moment of, you know, I'm, yeah, this industry, just sort of like acceptance, like this industry is full of uncertainty for the most part, even if I book a series regular role. Maybe there's a, a moment of feeling like I could taste some kind of certainty, but ultimately you never know what's going to happen to that role or that show or that network even. Mm-hmm. So then even being able to rest with like the reality of the fact that this is an industry that is filled with uncertainty. And so this is what I'm signing up for. <laughs> right. In a way, you know what I mean? It's just sort of like a an acknowledgement, like a, a head nod, like, okay, I see you. I see that this is the industry that I'm in and I'm in it with all these other actors. So we are in this together. And then aside from that, um, really being able to find where I do find stability, right? So if, if my industry isn't necessarily stable on a personal level, what does stability look like for me? And I think in a huge way, that's where meditation really supported me was was being able to practice mindfulness and really understand what awareness was, which is just sort of this unwavering ability to be present with what is, to open up and really be able to see 
the changing nature of reality. So even if you talk about the industry specifically or or life in general, life is pretty uncertain. We don't right. know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say we're talking a lot about entertainers, but this applies to anyone. Meditation and mindfulness, uh, anyone can get something out of that. Absolutely. So even if we if we broaden that scope, you know, um, we don't know if our job necessarily will be there tomorrow. We don't know if if my next breath will even come tomorrow. Right. So it's even, you know, going so far as to saying, what am I investing all of this mental energy into? Um, and so this is where this concept of the eight worldly winds sort of comes up is just being able to see all the ways that these external circumstances in our life are constantly changing. So these eight worldly winds are pleasure and pain. That's one set of them, right? So sometimes I'm experiencing pleasure. Sometimes I'm experiencing pain. But if I grasp onto either one of them too tightly or push one of them away too much, I'm really caught up in that dynamic of pushing and pulling or hoping one way will be the outcome over than the other. And it's sort of futile because both are relevant in our lives, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. things are pleasurable. Sometimes things are painful. And it's the same with gain and loss, mm -hmm. which I think is, you know, at least a lot of what I personally experienced in the industry was like gaining a job and then not having a job or, um, you know, uh, having a really good audition. And then the next one feeling like, that didn't happen <laughs> in the same way. So just all of these ups and downs. So gain and loss is a very uh, real push and pull that happens. Another set is praise and blame. Sometimes I'm going to be, people are going to be showering me with compliments, right? And I can't invest too much of my energy in even listening to that. Yes, I can take it in and, and hold it with some sense of balance. But if I take it too far, then the moment one person says something negative about me, which is that component of blame, everything's been pulled out from underneath me. Mm. Now that's something I feel is really, <laughs> really prevalent in just the average person's life right now, especially with social media and people not wanting to get dragged on the internet, but certainly wanting to look like they are uh, the hero or that they are doing so well. Totally. And so that brings me to the very last set of those eight worldly wins, which is fame and shame, mm -hmm. which is, you know, one day you're the hero. And then because of one wrong move or you say the wrong thing, you go to zero the very yeah. next day. So it's that fame to shame all right. of a sudden. Part of what you're saying is that these are all natural things and we're all going to experience them and we need them to a degree. You know, we can't let our egos get too wrapped up in them, but there are going to be times where we're going to get praised and times where we're going to get blamed and times where we're going to, you know, have the good times and the bad times. And we can learn from both as long as we allow it to be a situation like that. But people get so wrapped up in having one or the other that they they oftentimes I think miss the point and miss the lesson. Totally. And I think what you're talking about is what is traditionally referred to as attachment, mm. which is basically just attaching ourselves to a very specific outcome. And when that doesn't happen, it's generally met with so much disappointment, but it's because we've generated so much expectation around it. Mm. Not only is there attachment, but, but it has to be that way. And if it's not, then, you know, we, again, it's like having the rug pulled out from under us because right. we've set ourselves up for this idea of reality that is actually not what's happening right now. Right. Um, I actually just shared this quote with a class that I taught this morning and maybe I can share it with you. Please do. So it's, a quote by a Korean Zen teacher. His name is Heyman Sunim. Mm -hmm. And ironically, I think he's actually really popular on social media, <laughs> which is, you know, um, I think just like the irony in this, even being, you know, like a meditation teacher. But he says, <laughs> if I had to summarize the entirety of most people's lives in a few words, 
it would be endless resistance to what is. As we resist, we are in constant motion trying to adjust, and yet we still remain unhappy about what is. If I had to summarize the entirety of an enlightened person's life in a few words, it would be complete acceptance of what is. As we accept what is, our minds are relaxed and composed while the world changes rapidly around us. So I think there's something really beautiful in the way that it, it even comes back and ties in these, these eight worldly winds. It's like the world is rapidly changing around us all the time, mm -hmm. whether it's a moment of experiencing pleasure or pain, whether I'm experiencing a moment of praise or blame that they're all going to happen, right? They're all sort of like whirling around me. And it's just how caught up do I want to get in all of it? Right. You know, in some way, it's almost like remembering that discipline of just do the work. At least that was something my teacher said, like, <laughs> don't worry about an applause afterwards. Like, don't worry about what somebody says about it. Just do your work and trust that the work is there. And in the same way, it's like having this discipline with your ability to find balance within yourself and to stay really grounded with, okay, so yes, somebody just gave me a compliment. I'm not going to let that completely blow my head right off my body, but that I'll, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it and roll with it. And this, and can I have the same balanced mind when something not so pleasant comes in? And that's really hard. You know, mm -hmm. even for me, that's really hard as a teacher to still be able to take in moments like that because naturally our minds want to fixate on that one negative thing. If we get nine compliments, our mind goes to the one negative thing. And in so many ways, this is part of our evolutionary makeup. It's part of this negativity bias that mm -hmm. is natural to us. It's part of our, our survival mechanism. It's part of our wiring. But in understanding that we are not hopefully in constant threat, we can over time start to kind of override that function in us and tap into the more evolved part of our brain, which can hold it with a little bit more balance. I've said it before, but it's all really enlightening and, it, <laughs> and it's very helpful. Let's set some people up with a practice that they can do, a meditation they can do. When we talked before about creating something together. We talked about having a meditation that can help someone focus and, and really listen actively and be creative and even help them uh, be a little more calm and not as nervous about the performance they're about to do. So what would you like to do with that? Well, so hearing that description, I feel like doing a meditation that is really going to help us ground and center would be really helpful. Okay, great. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. And then we'll do this for about 10 minutes. Does that sound like a, That's perfect. a good amount of time? Okay, cool. Okay. Allow yourself to settle down into the ground in some way. So whether that means you're sitting on a chair and that chair is resting on the ground, or maybe you find yourself even lying flat on the ground, that there's this ability to feel yourself being supported by the earth, by the ground in some way. So if you're lying down, maybe it's this ability of feeling the weight of your whole body just resting here, feeling your back up against the floor. And then if you're sitting upright, feeling your sit bones pressing down into your seat, making this contact with the earth, really feeling like you could land right here in this spot and just settle in. And for this moment, this is your spot. There's nowhere else for you to be. No one else that needs to be here. Your own space to take up. So allowing your arms to settle at your sides. 
Feeling this length and strength in your back. And then the softness at the chest, the softness at the heart. So there's a sense of balance of being able to be both strong and soft. And then we'll take some time to just move through the body, reconnecting with the body. And we do this as a way of just inviting the mind to come and settle right here in this very moment. Because it's so easy for our minds to wander, to become distracted, to jump off into the future, worry about something that hasn't happened yet, or ruminate about something in the past that's already gone. So we invite the mind right here into the body to settle. We'll start at the top of our heads. We'll just take some time to soften these muscles in the forehead. Letting the jaw relax. Letting your cheeks feel soft. Coming down to the shoulders, maybe even breathing into your shoulders, filling them up with air. And on the exhale, feeling them melt away from your ears. Like you could draw them back and down. Feeling this broadness spread across your chest. You could start to open up at the heart a little more. Softening the belly. And then just noticing here if there is any tension in the chest and belly area. So often, this is where we tighten up when we feel that sense of defensiveness. Like we put this armor up, this shielding. So we could just let our guard down with this really intimate moment with ourselves. Let down the wall. Expose ourselves. Feel this softness, this tenderness, this aliveness. It's right here. Moving down through the back. Breathing into any areas that feel particularly tense. And on the exhale, seeing if they can start to unwind. Continuing down through the legs. Just taking a moment to feel the bottom of your feet. Taking time with each one of your toes. Slowing down a bit. Really sharpening your attention. Coming up through the arches of your feet and around your heels. Maybe here we bring our attention to the palms of our hands. Noticing if there's any warmth coming from the palms of our hands. Or if there's a dryness or clamminess there. Noticing the temperature of the air as it brushes up against the warmth of our cheeks. So we're starting to peel ourselves open to some of the very subtle details that are always happening here. It's just likely that we're too busy to even notice some of these details, listening for sounds. Feeling your breath. What does that breath feel like as it comes into my body? and moves out. 
can I ride the waves of this breath right now just coming in? Filling up my belly and going out. And then as we start to gather some of the details that are happening in the world around us, as I mentioned, maybe some of those sounds, the temperature, maybe even the movement of the belly rising and falling, that I might be able to see everything happening in my external world as a big cyclone just swirling around me. And maybe my thoughts sort of join that cyclone. So they just start to notice all this activity, whether it's activity happening in the world around me or even in my own mind. I could just notice all of that movement. And then right here in the center of the cyclone, is where my awareness is, where it is quiet, where it is still, where it's unaffected by all of that movement, all of that noise. And I can just allow it to happen all around me. And right here in the center, and just notice it. So let's take a few moments to just let ourselves sit here with this kind of spaciousness of mind to really be able to rest in this part of us that is untouched by the changing winds around us. Let's take one last nice deep breath to round out this meditation. And before you blink your eyes open, take a moment to just notice how you feel. If you notice any sort of balance of being alert and relaxed, which is where so much of our spontaneity lives, so much of our open-mindedness, our availability, our presence. So more alert, yet relaxed. So see if you can just take that time to find this space, find your center. Even if it's short moments, many times throughout the day, to just keep coming back and finding that place for yourself. And then when you're ready, you can gently blink your eyes open. Thank you. That was really great. I love the alert but relaxed. That's really perfect for comedy and, and yeah. performing. You really do. I mean, you're right that it is where spontaneity comes from. And then also right. when you're alert, you have like... I feel like you have your vocabulary <laughs> in full use, but when you're relaxed, you're you're performing at your best and you're bringing a good energy to the stage. Completely. You're fluid. You're taking what other people are giving you. You're working with it. I think that when we think about that balance of alert yet relaxed, you know, when we're alert, but we take it to the extreme, it's like we're alert and then we're tense. Mm -hmm. Or on the other side, we're relaxed and then we're kind of drowsy or even like, there's this lethargic quality, like just a little mopey. But when we can bring them together, it's like this optimal functioning for, for most of us, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, as a performer, but for all of us, you know, right. if, if really engaging with life in this of way of being present and open, it's, it's being able to come from this 
this open and relaxed place. And then, you know, what I think is interesting about it is even in the meditation, when, when we're relating to the external circumstances, you know, with that particular metaphor or that visualization, what I find so freeing about it is that we actually don't need to do anything about the external circumstances. I don't need to change them. I don't need to control them. I'm not caught in that, Mm -hmm. but that I really have this capacity to change my relationship to them. Like it's not that I'm so caught up in it, but that by giving myself that space, I can relate to it in a different way. Mm. There it is. Jackie, thank (laughs) you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Jason, so much for having me. It was such a a delight to be able to chat with you. And it was a delight having her on. And I hope you got something out of that. And we're also going to do a bonus episode this Thursday. It's just going to be that meditation that she did at the end there. It'll just be straight up that. Nothing before or after. Just the meditation. She is doing a lot. And you can find a ton of resources on her website, JackieStewart.com. She has a weekly class that streams online through the app Journey Live and also teaches online through the platform Allo Moves. If you're in New York City, she teaches at the Mindful Studio, but they're doing everything online right now, obviously. So go to mindfulmeditation.com and check out Mindful TV. That's M N D F L meditation.com. All of this linked in the bio, of course. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 